0: Wednesday, May twenty eighth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser and Morgan Housel. Happy Wednesday, gents. Happy. Um, we're going to talk 3D systems, which is in the news. Google and the self driving car. Holy cow! We'll, we will we will get into that, but let's uh, stick with retail for the moment. And that's Michael Kors. Uh fourth quarter profit. Do I have this right? Up. Up 59%, revenue up more than 50%. Their North American comps, Jason,
1: were basically the opposite of coaches. I mean, I was going to say, man, if you like symmetry, there is some really interesting symmetry going on there. It was right like
0: there. 20% either way. Their
1: North American comps, yeah, Michael Cord's North American comps were, I think, 20.6% on the positive side versus coaches, which were, you know, a dismal negative uh, 21%. Last quarter, so yeah, there there was there was a little give and take there.
0: We were talking about this before we started taping. An amazing quarter, yeah. Anyone would want these numbers for their quarterly results, and yet when you look at the stock, the stock is it was up early, and then it was flat, and then it was down a little bit. Like, it, why is the stock not reacting to amazing numbers?
1: Well, I mean, so yeah, to to your point, first and foremost, it was a good quarter. I mean, no no question there, and and hats off uh to, to course for, for really, you know, continuing to just create a great name for itself out there, grow grow the grow the brand. Uh but I do think that at least the market is starting to wonder, uh, at least question uh, you know growth over, over the coming coming year and beyond. Because I mean at some point, you know, the 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 excitement wears off and we have to recognize this company for what it is. It's a retailer. You know and, and as as quickly as as people will pile on uh you know, on the way up, all it takes is a couple of bad quarters and people really start, you know, jumping off and just ragging on it all the way down. I think Coach is a great example there. And it's not to say that uh you know Michael Kords won't continue to do well. I, I'm, you know, quite certain that it will, but but it's also not a cheap stock at all. I mean if you look at uh the stock days trading at about thirty times uh trailing earnings, uh in about twenty six or twenty seven times Full year uh, estimates here coming up. You Compare that to, to Coach, which is obviously a bit of a different story there. But but Coach is somewhere in the neighborhood of ten, eleven, twelve times earnings. So there there is a big difference there. And actually, Coach uh, still still beats Michael Kors on the sales line. I mean, they, they've close to five million five billion dollars in trailing sales versus Michael Kors about uh, close to three and a half billion. Um, but you know, with that said, I mean, I think I think that uh, North America obviously tremendous. Europe has been a great opportunity for Coors that they've capitalized on. You don't see Asia really mentioned a whole lot in those Coors releases, which is which is to me, I think, potentially a a big opportunity there because we know that that's the big opportunity for Coach that they're trying to capitalize on right now. Um, if Coors gets into that space and makes a name for itself, that could certainly uh, come at the, at the expense of Coach there as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah I, n- nothing wrong with a quarter, but I think again, with, as a retailer, you just you have to start at least asking the questions about the growth going forward
2: well I think when, when, whenever we 're talking about these retailers it's always you always have to bring up how fickle tastes are and how fast these things change and I think as from an investor 's point of view it 's difficult to invest those companies because if you 're if you're a real investor, you want to be looking at a company for five, ten years in the future, but when you look at these fashion industries where tastes change every six months. It's very tough to be able to see, have any sort of clarity about the future, when you're just making a bet on consumer tastes that are you know they're going to change, but you don't know when and to what. So it's it's tough to invest in a lot of these companies, I think.
0: Well, Jason, you mentioned the opportunity that Coors has in Asia, but earlier this year, management at Coors was talking about, at least in terms of their operations, one of the things they were looking to. Grow was the men's line because mm-hmm. I, I think of me, Michael Kors and it is first and foremost it's women's apparel and accessories. You go to their website though, they do have, you know, men's products, that sort of thing, but but it seems like on the one hand that's an opportunity for them, on the other hand, I, I don't know if you're an investor if that's the thing you're betting on. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I would. I mean, I think that I think that I would view that as as potentially I mean, maybe an incremental opportunity. I don't think it's anything that could really uh, match match at least the perception there of, of the the women's segment of the business. Um, but I mean, by the same token, I mean that's that the coach really saw that as a great opportunity just you know a couple of years back um, and and started trying to steer the business more towards the, the men's line and there and they continue to do very well in that segment. Uh, they're growing sales in in their men's. Uh, goods and and I think that there is there's definitely an opportunity for cores there I, I I don't know if if that brand resonates the same um with men that that a coach brand might I mean we we've talked before about kind of I mean sort of the difference at least just in, in when you when you see like the labels there I mean the 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 cores label versus the coach label they're two very different looking you know brands, and I don't know if it maybe resonates as well with with a guy as it does a girl. I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I we talked about this before taping. You know, oh yeah. My wife doesn't know any cores that I know of. I don't think yours does. No. Does yours? I, I just don't know. I I don't know as much about cores as as I do about Coach from a. From a brand uh, power perspective, but I think that Morgan makes a great point there in that regardless whether it's cores or coach, these are brands that they they can go out just as quickly as they come in, and that's you know that's one thing I I like your underarmers and Nikes more because they they sort of transcend just that that brand. I mean, the brand alone is not really the competitive advantage as much as it's the brand along with the actual market that they're tapping um, in in athletic apparel and equipment uh, and footwear and stuff like that. Whereas you know. It, Handbags, accessories, things like that—they're just a dime a dozen. They're all over the place. So, uh, Morgan,
0: since we're talking retail, uh, yesterday uh, <laughs> when you weren't here, we spent a lot of time talking about <laughs> macroeconomic stuff. Uh, and I did believe me—that you, you were razzing me a little bit uh, this morning about that. That did cross my mind. But I am curious. Uh, since we're talking retail, was there anything that you saw yesterday? Primarily in the consumer confidence numbers, was there anything you saw that jumped out at you? Most
2: consumer confidence numbers are fueled by three things, the stock market, gas prices, and politics. Those are the three huge variables that always move consumer confidence. Stock market's been doing well lately. That, that's going to have a big impact. Gas prices are pretty flat. That, that doesn't do much. Politics has been pretty tame, which is what you want. So, and the other thing about when you're looking at consumer confidence numbers, those have almost no indication of what's going to happen next. It's a perfect view of what happened in the past. But if you're looking at those numbers and saying, what does this mean for companies next quarter, next year, next five There's there's really not much you can read into that. So I don't spend too much time paying attention to consumer confidence. There, there have been some studies where people take consumer confidence numbers and sort of splice it next to the stock market. It's almost perfect. Whatever the stock market did in the last thirty-eight days, that's how confident people are about the economy.
0: Shares of 3D Systems down more than 10% this morning after the company announced a secondary stock offering of close to 6 million shares. When And we've been talking for years about how cheap money is, how yeah. easy it is for companies to finance whatever they want to do through debt, why do this? Why go the stock offering route as opposed to
1: debt? Well, I think it certainly depends on the the quality of the company, the size of the company, the clarity of exactly where the company is headed. So, for for 3D Systems, for example, it is going to be more expensive to issue debt than it would be for something like Google. Uh, I was reading earlier this morning where Tesla uh, was downgraded to junk status just on their the debt they were issuing for the Gigafactory. And, and, and again, I mean, I don't think that's really that's that's not so much a, a a knock against the company it's just a knock against the general situation here that you you know still at the end of the day it, it's electric vehicles and they're trying to build this 5 billion dollar gigafactory that we know may or may not work yeah, I think it's probably going to be warranted. It's probably going to warrant a little bit of a of a riskier uh debt rating and and I think with 3 systems they would probably get a riskier debt rating as well. Uh while shares are down this year, I mean, uh it's still the, the stock has done very well. And given their growth strategy, I mean, they they grow via acquisitions. Um I think the secondary here at, at this point is still probably a decent move. Um the company's made about 22 acquisitions going back to 2012 and going back one more year that that total comes closer to 50 so they, they do make a lot of deals um, I, I think the questions i have with 3d systems really are just i understand i think it's a little bit it's a little bit more clear the commercial implications of the business i am not as i'm not sold on the consumer implications of the business like i don't know that you know i'm going to go over to morgan's house one night for dinner and he's going to show me his 3d printer and how he just printed dessert
0: Right. I, I, I would,
2: just, if you wanted to, I would.
0: It's well, it's, see,
2: it's an open invitation.
1: That's what him. kind of a guy he is. I mean, that,
0: you know. But if you're barbecuing, you print out some uh, plastic cutlery. There right. you go. See, Chris,
2: those Chris are, tried my printed steak the other night. He wasn't a fan.
1: <laughs> those are interesting and novel ideas, indeed. Yet I'm not sold on on the actual. Uh, uh, you know the actual fact of whether they may they may happen, and, and I think that's that's probably where you have to look at the, at these three D printers at, at this point. You know whether it's X one three D Systems or Stratasys, and again I know we, it seems like we just say this all the time, uh, but but really if you're interested in this space, and I, and I understand why you would be, I think the basket approach is much more uh, reasonable: is to just own a little bit of each one in equal amounts. Um, you know, I mean if you look at three D's share counts, outstanding. I mean you go back to two thousand nine uh the share count was about 68 million shares outstanding and after this offering it's going to be closer to 110 million so i mean you're going to see that share count probably continue to go up over the over the coming years because they're going to need to figure out ways to get capital to make those acquisitions and grow that business but you know the upside is that when you look back at organic growth for this company they have actually brought some organic growth in 2011 it was 19% last year it was closer to 30 and when you see that that means that those acquisitions, you know, notwithstanding, they're still doing a good job growing that company. That's good,
0: Morgan. When you look at a company, just any company, we'll remove 3D Systems from the equation. You see that a company is doing a secondary stock offering. What goes through your mind? I'm curious if you look at that as it is on balance. A bullish sign, a bearish sign, a red flag. What you know, or does it depend?
2: Well, in the huge majority of cases, companies are absolutely terrible with capital allocation <laughs> within their own stock. They repurchase shares after shares have rallied and they're very expensive. That's when they say, "Oh, big buyback, here we go." And then after shares crash and they're really cheap, and you know they're down eighty percent. That's when they start issuing equity. It's this. It's the worst you could possibly think of, uh, and it's pervasive across industries across all CEOs and CEOs, CFOs. It's one of, it's one of the biggest uh, uh, destructions of investor value that takes place consistently over time, especially share buybacks. They're just consistently done wrong. So, when I look at, when I look at a company doing a secondary offering, I mean, the first thing I want to know is, is your stock richly valued? The answer should be yes. And I think with a case like 3D system, yeah, shares have been whacked around lately, but it's still a pretty richly valued company. That's when you want to issue stock. That's great. I think one of the worst examples, even though it's a company we love around here and they do great things, but Netflix has just been disastrous at this. They repurchase a ton of stock when shares are expensive. After shares crashed, they went in and they issued a ton <laughs> of stock. It's just the worst thing you could possibly do. So it's, it, it makes me happy, I think, when I look at a company like 3D Systems that's still trading at a, at a steep valuation, in their issue, and they're using that to their advantage to cheaply issue equity.
0: You can follow us on Twitter, at Foolery. Is the handle for our little podcast here. I uh, got a tweet from Ben Wechter in Austin, Texas. He wrote First the battle for the living room, now the battle for your vehicle. No steering wheel equals more ad space. Uh, <laughs> and he included a link to a story about Google and the update on the self driving car. Uh, this was announced at the Code Conference out in California this week. Um, I got to say, I'm starting to turn around on this idea because the uh, no steering wheel, uh, a maximum speed of, of 25 miles per hour, uh, that's 40 kilometers per hour for those of you who live outside the United States. Um, they're very quick to say, hey, look, we're not selling these, we're just making 100 of these prototypes. Um, and the video that they did, I thought was brilliant because, and I have to believe this was on purpose, <laughs> they put together this three-minute video of people testing it and when i think about the self driving car i automatically go to the safety issue and all of the people in the video were sort of aimed through you know with that in mind so it was an elderly couple it was uh, a mom and her young son uh, it was a woman with her dog you know just sort of uh, this cross section of people who and maybe it was just me but when i was watching i thought oh yeah that those are the people that you're thinking oh are, are they going to be safe and it was very, also cup holders I just like that they had <laughs> cup holders in there. But Morgan, you were saying you are you are more and more bullish on this.
2: And you know, it's interesting with the safety issue because that's what everyone brings up. I almost feel like there's an analogy here with flying. How everyone knows flying oh, is yeah. one of the safest ways to travel, but it's one of the most feared ways of traveling. With the self-driving car, Jason, you, you might know the numbers. Google's prototypes—they've driven what, like six hundred, eight hundred thousand miles, something, something absurd yeah, like I mean, that. They've, they've, yeah. And they've been in two accidents. <clears throat> Both times that they got in an accident, it was when a human was actually at the steering wheel. It has never been in an accident when the self-driving function was going. And these are just their test models that are supposed to—they're supposed to screw up and they're supposed to find the bugs. It's <laughs> never crashed, and it—it it seems like the kind of thing. You know, I was reading about Google's self-driving car this morning. It, it can see 600 feet in any direction, 360 degrees around the car. It's so much more, uh, uh, so much more aware of what's going on than humans are, are And I understand the nervous side of it. Of course, that's going to be a big issue. From what I've read, is that everyone who has been in a ride in these things, they say the first time you do it, it's terrifying and exciting and exhilarating. The second time you do it, you're just bored out of your mind because it just, it just occurs to you, like, yeah, this thing can drive perfectly, and now I'm just going for a ride. Now like what do I've I been, do? Now what do I do? I just look out the window, and I'm, it's just like I'm riding a bus or something. Uh, I think one of the things with the self-driving car, too, is that a lot of people think, oh, that's really neat, but what's this going to do for me? Sure, it makes it on, you know, on my morning commute. I can read a book or whatever, and that's neat, but what does that do to the economy? What does that and I th- the best explanation of what I've heard about what self-driving cars could do is it almost becomes like your personal concierge and that it can go out and run errands for you. So, so someone brought up the example of, like, let's say you're at work and you got no food at home. You type into your phone, OK, uh, there's a Safeway app, let's say, and it says, I want milk and bananas and cookies. And then your car leaves your work garage by itself drives to Safeway, someone at Safeway scans your license plate, it says here's your order they load up your trunk and your car drives back to work all by itself and no one in it or maybe your car can take your 5 year old kid to school for you you just by itself, there's so many things that it can do, but I think people just get attached to this vision of, oh great, so I can read the paper in the car now, well that's neat, but that doesn't really change my life, but I think if they really figure this out, as I think there's so much momentum now it's 10, 20 years from now this is going to be a huge thing
0: well, I and, really think it, it could
2: be transformational.
0: And particularly if – okay, so these are the prototypes. They're going up to 25 miles an hour. I'm thinking golf carts. I, cause <laughs> a, a, and, and not just on – I mean, yes, on the golf course, but I'm also thinking of planned communities where, you know, in Florida, there are a lot of people who aren't driving cars. They're driving these tricked-out golf carts mm-hmm. that really aren't on
1: their own going any faster than 25 miles an hour. Thank goodness. Um, and <laughs> – that- there are, I mean, there are plenty of golf cart uh, playing communities. You know, I mean, a couple of years ago, we had uh, one of our members who came down uh, from Michigan, Doug Harrington. Um, he brought a he brought that Ford vehicle that parked itself. And so this was pretty cool like we got to get in the car and like sit there and this thing parallel park reverse we parallel yeah, park like you don't do anything the car does it and I mean I think Morgan just the, the exhilarating exciting scared a little bit you know you're like wow I can't I'm just waiting for this thing to pop the car you know in back of us and then just run in the car in front of us and just to be some just crazy <laughs> insurance claim but it actually it parked like no problem it, it was very impressive you know then i see something like <laughs> i see something like silicon valley a couple of weeks ago where the <laughs> driverless car like ships him off to the nether regions yeah. <laughs> and the, i'm
0: like the great show on hbo the, the, a driverless car uh, factored into uh, one of the plots and basically a guy was on his and it was basically the nightmare scenario for driverless car, which is a command, a remote command, sends the car not to your home; it sends it elsewhere. And in, <laughs> in the case of the show, it basically put the guy on a container ship, and he was just he just disappeared
1: for five to days, nowhere. But I, I mean, you know, we've seen the news before where people talk about hacking airplane cockpits. I can't help but think that someone would be able to hack, you know, a, a self-driving car without any real problem at all. Uh with that said, I mean I agree. I think the implications here there there are certain um instances where this works very well, I think. You know, the, the planned neighborhoods where where it's a little bit more of a controlled environment. I think I think that all makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that uh, I think they're on something, and I think it will be be something that uh becomes more and more a part of yeah, certain parts of of our society as years go on so that's exciting there's
2: always a fear of the unknown that is just you're scared of it just because it's unknown so you know, someday there will be a bad accident in a self-driving car. And when it happens, it's going to be national news and oh, people yeah. are going to say this is over. But if you t- if you told those people, hey, by the way, 2,000 Americans died today in regular cars, they shrug their shoulders and that's no big deal to them. It's just what you know and what you don't know. And, and I mean,
1: he used the the example of planes. I mean, let's not forget, most of those planes are flying on autopilot for the right? most part. And it's, I mean, the computers are landing those things for the most part. It, it, there, is a lot, there is a lot of software that, that, is, that is operating. A lot of uh, what goes on around us today. So I think this is just something that, well, yeah, it's new, it's unknown, people are a little afraid, but I, it'll be slowly but surely. It'll become uh, more and more a part of what we see every day. It is National Hamburger Day. Yes!
0: <laughs> so for our dozens of listeners, Let's make a hamburger recommendation. What's a, what's a place? It can be anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. What's a place when you go there? You're thinking, "Oh, I'm going to this place. Wonder I'm getting a hamburger." I'm
2: glad you asked. I didn't. I didn't know you were going to ask, but I have a perfect answer. I was in New York yesterday, and I was starving, and I stopped at a place called The Counter. It's near Times Square. Okay, It was epic. It was one of the best burgers I've ever had. Was
0: it a burger joint or was it just a diner? And and they just I, happen I, to I, have to great burger. I don't. I don't
2: know if they're if it's a chain or whatnot. But it was. It, it was. It was framed like an old school 1950s diner style. And it was make your own. You you got a sheet of paper on your table. You just check off, I want this, I want this, I want this. And it was it was delightful. What'd you go with? I had a burger with Gouda cheese and bacon and garlic aioli and avocado and a bunch of other stuff. I couldn't fit it in my mouth, but it was Damn, delicious.
0: That sounds good. What about you, Jay?
1: Chris, is it hubris to say that the best burgers <laughs> are the ones that I make at home? Yes, it is absolutely <laughs> hubris. All right, well, second choice. <laughs> Uh, and now I know what my mission here is this summer. We got to get you to raise Burger. because I will say that is a that is a consistently well made burger. Huge. You got a lot of different ways you can do it.
0: It's in Arlington, Virginia. Yep,
1: yeah, they've got some really cold beer there as well. And I mean it is it is all the burger you can handle. And you know just I don't go too crazy with burgers. I mean I like you know maybe a slice of cheddar cheese, uh, you know some pickles, a little mustard. I'm ready to rock. I'm gonna go. I
0: love I love me some Five Guys. Can never go wrong with Five Guys, but there's a place in uh, Alexandria, in the Delray neighborhood here in Alexandria, called Holy Cow. (laughs) And they make phenomenal burgers. Um, And in what is, I think, just a brilliant, just a masterstroke of marketing, they have set it up so that every burger that is purchased uh, when you go up to the counter to order, there is a piece of paper there with all of these local charities. And you, you order your burger, and then you pick your charity. And for every burger they sell, they donate 25 cents to a charity. So beyond just being good local corporate citizens, they get people like me to say, oh, yeah, I'm doing something good in the world. That's why I'm having this burger. Not because I want to ram this bacon cheeseburger in my face. I'm just trying to do some good in the community. That's all. That's all. I just think that's a brilliant stroke. It's like you can't not do it. Right. It's, it's mostly the burger, though. It's, you're, you're
2: most, you're mostly, it's mostly all about the kids. The I'm doing it for the
0: kids. <laughs> Morgan Housel, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Nice. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear that's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by burger fan Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.